Jesus is softly calling, but because of who he is and because of where he's been, because of what he's done, you can start all over again. It doesn't matter what you've done, but because of what he Aren't you glad that we get to start all over again? <clears throat> the Lord takes all that sin and washes it away. Amen? That's good. Well, take your Bible tonight. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 20. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Again, don't forget, we've got a big week coming up this coming Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Not this week, but next week. And boy, I'll tell you what, invite folks out. I mean, there's folks that possibly uh, you've seen sitting beside you even that aren't here. Give them a call, text them, Facebook them, whatever it takes. <clears throat> Bite them out. Say, hey, listen, we've got a guest speaker coming in. We're going to have a great time Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I want you to come on and be a part of it. And so... Uh, Take a little initiative there and help out with that. And, boy, that would be a blessing and get some folks back into God's house as we kick off our springtime and move on into summer. <clears throat> feels like summer out there now, doesn't it? But anyway, it looks like summer, but it don't feel like it, does it? All right, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then began he to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. One to thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you and thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in that day of judgment than for thee. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. He whomsoever the Son will reveal him. <clears throat> in our particular passage tonight, we are looking at a passage that is monumental, really. 
Chapter 11 in the book of Matthew is a very important, pivotal point in the New Testament. We're going to see that earlier in the chapter that John, John the Baptist that is, had questioned the identity of Jesus Christ. He wondered if he was truly the one that should come. In his flesh, he began to doubt or wonder or question. And you know, in our flesh, we're prone to question the reality of Christ as well. When we are confronted with difficult circumstances in our lives, John found himself in a prison facing death. Unjustified, mind you. Certainly wasn't there because he should have been there. No, he was there because there were those that hated his message, hated his stand, hated his position. And as a result of that, he finds himself in a prison, facing death. And now he begins to question whether or not Jesus Christ is indeed the one Messiah, the promised one. <clears throat> now you've got to remember who John is, right? John the Baptist is the one that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 7 verse 28 as He said, for unto you among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. But I think it's important to note that born among women, there's not a greater. Isn't that amazing? John was a very unusual man. According to Christ himself, he was very unique. He was very special. And if John the Baptist found himself questioning the reality of the Savior while drowning in his situation then i got to believe that it's pretty clear that under the right circumstances, you and I might be tempted to do the same. It's easy sometimes to look at people and wonder why they're struggling in their Christian life. It's easy to, from one side of the fence to, to say, well, I don't understand that person. They've been faithful. They've had uh, really been solid overall, but now they're going through this difficult time. I don't know why it's shaking their face so much. I thought they were stronger than that. I just want you to understand that put in the right circumstance, the right situation, all of us are prone or capable to be tempted in that regard. If John was, I think maybe I would be. If John could be tempted to question, then I think maybe you could. John was an unusual man. But how does Jesus respond to this lapse of confidence in the life of John? What, did Jesus get angry with him? Did he get upset with him? Did he lose his temper? No, not at all. Doesn't appear that way, at least not from the Word of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus sends John's disciples back and he says, "You, You tell them to, quote, shoo John again those things which ye do hear and see. Go ahead and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen along the way. Go ahead and let him uh, uh, tell him what has been transpiring and taking place. And you say, well, what did they hear and what did they see? Well, according to Matthew 11, 5, the Bible says the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You tell John that. You let John know what's been taking place in his absence while you've been here with me. The devil was really attacking the true identity of Jesus Christ. I mean, he 
does his best to inject doubt into the mind of this choice servant of God. And then he turns his attention to the people and he seeks to deceive their minds. I mean, the very ones who Jesus Christ was seeking, the very ones who he wanted to see saved, he makes them doubt, begin to wonder who this Christ is or even reject and deny him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, we see that the devil's efforts of deception were rewarded because the Bible tells us in chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Jesus Christ speaking of the response of the people toward him. Here they are on one hand saying, this John the Baptist, this so-called man of God. I mean, he doesn't drink, he doesn't eat, and yet he hath a devil. Jesus says, well, I'm eating and I'm drinking. And yet, on the other hand, you say that I'm a wine-bibber. You say that I'm a drunkard. So which is it? I mean, it seems to me that it doesn't matter what I do, it's always wrong. It seems to me that you've already made up your mind who and what I really am. The devil had been very successful in his campaign against Christ. In John chapter 1 verse 11, the Bible says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The devil had been working overtime, and it was paying off. Jesus Christ had left glory, and he had come and traveled the dusty trails of Galilee, and made every possible means by which to assure the people that he was indeed the Messiah. He took every step to prove to them that he had the power of God, that he was God in flesh, Emmanuel. And yet, they rejected him. And yet, they had no place for him in their life. They had no time for him in their schedules. They would not receive him unto themselves. Matthew chapter 11 is a very pivotal point in the New Testament. See, in the New Testament, we're going to see that ultimately, Christ will be rejected three times. Number one is right here in Matthew chapter 11. The people of God, we see here that these different places, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they had had every opportunity to trust God. They had seen the power of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated, and yet they rejected Him. We know that that was strike one. We find in, again, the end of the New Testament... Or should I say, the end of the Old Testament, really. In the book of Matthew, you say that's New Testament, not really, not till the death of the testator. But we find that there at the end, we find that there's a crucifixion. And uh, the people are given an opportunity to choose between Barabbas, a known murderer, and Jesus Christ, an innocent man. And yet what do they cry? Crucify him. Crucify him. 
And so we have strike one in Matthew chapter 11. We have strike two at the crucifixion as they cry out, crucify him. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ would die, be buried and rise again. And in Acts chapter two, there would be this tremendous outpouring of the Holy Ghost and 3,000 would be born again, saved on the spot. The New Testament church would be empowered and moved by the Holy Ghost. And now all of a sudden, we seem to be moving into another realm of, of ability and opportunity. <clears throat> Once again, the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> focusing his efforts on the Jew again. Seeking to take the gospel to the Jewish people. <clears throat> his primary goal was always to reach the Jewish people. Strike one, Matthew 11. Strike two, the crucifixion. Finally, strike three comes in chapter 7 of Acts. When Stephen points out the rebellion of the people of God. When he points out that they had crucified him, Jesus, the Savior. Before it's done that day, Stephen lay dead. And God says, strike three, you're out. And he takes... And turns his attention then <clears throat> to the Gentile. Matthew chapter 11 is very pivotal. Because it begins to open a door that would lead to the salvation of myself and you included. Amen. Wouldn't be long after chapter 7 that a great leader by the name of Paul shows up. Of course he held the coats and the the garments of those who stoned Stephen. Now he himself, in chapter 9, finds himself on the road to Damascus, and while on that road, he meets with Jesus Christ. We understand that just a chapter earlier, Philip had been preaching to the Samaritans. Samaritans were the offspring of the Assyrian captivity. They were half Jew, half Gentile. And now we have Paul the Apostle, who is ultimately commissioned there on the road to Damascus to go to the Gentile and reach them with the gospel. So we have a transition that took place in the New Testament now, in the book of Acts. It's all been documented for us, and we find here that there was this door that was kicked open, made to open wide because the Jew rejected Jesus Christ. And it all starts and begins in Matthew 11. With it cracking open. And then finding itself swinging in the crucifixion and ultimately wide open in Acts chapter 7. We turn our attention to Matthew chapter 11 again, verse 21. <clears throat> Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes... But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in that day of judgment than for thee. <clears throat> That's hard to believe, isn't it? Jesus, the Bible says, begins to upbraid the cities. He begins to reprove with severity. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. 
upbraiding them. Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities whose people worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth. They were very idolatrous, heathenistic, carnal, sensual, wicked. The Bible says that if they had been given the same opportunities that Chorazin and Bethsaida had been afforded, they would have repented long ago. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Here you are, my people. Here you are, my flesh and blood. Here you are, given every opportunity to receive and accept me. I've demonstrated my power in your life, in your homes, your families, in your cities. You've seen me heal the brokenhearted. You've seen me heal the lame, the the blind. You've seen me do these supernatural deeds, raising from the dead even. And yet you have rejected me, and yet you have hardened your heart toward me. If Tyre and Sidon, who are idolatrous and wicked and have nothing to do with me, and I had nothing to do with them at that point, if they would have had the opportunity that you had, they would have already repented. He then directs his attention to Capernaum. Who had been blessed, of course, with the witness and the works of Jesus Christ. My, he did some of the most mighty works there in Capernaum, did he not? But still they remained cold-hearted toward him. He indicts them by pointing out that Sodom, given the same opportunities as Capernaum, would never have been destroyed at all. As a matter of fact, it would still be there today. Isn't that amazing? Jesus makes it perfectly clear that as wicked as the inhabitants of these rival cities and rivals people, these rival people were, that they would have repented of their sin if they had only had the same opportunity and the same privilege that the Jewish people had. As a result, we read, In verse 24 of Matthew 11, But I say unto you, Jesus speaking, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Isn't that something? We're going to learn a couple things tonight, very briefly tonight. I want to point out just four simple thoughts from our passage. And I trust it will be a blessing and a help to us as we go forward in our Christian lives. We need to understand this truth or we'll fail to reach our potential for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to You. I pray that You bless now tonight. I thank You for the privilege that I have to be in this pulpit. What a sacred responsibility it is. I pray, God, that you would fill me with your spirit. I am a nobody. But, Father, you are somebody. Lord, you are everything that we need. May you be glorified in this service, exalted and magnified. May you help every listening ear to be anointed as well, that we will hear what you have for us. May you drive home your truths in our heart. 
And may we, Father, live them out. May we not just be hearers, but doers of the word. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. From our passage, we learn a few things. Number one, we learn that we must recognize the mighty works of God. We've got to recognize the mighty works of God. Often it seems to me that if we're not careful, we overlook His workings in our life. You know, we, we misinterpret what's going on. We sometimes take credit for what's taking place even. You know, we succeed or we are uh, uh, successful in a certain area of our life, whether it be finances or relationships or whether it be just some kind of benevolent service. And we somehow get the idea that it is a result of our gung-ho effort. It's a direct result of our our abilities or our talents. Uh, it's the direct result of our education or our schooling somehow. That we somehow have a part in that and therefore we overlook God as being the one who truly provided it. Who made it happen. I think that this second generation Christianity makes it difficult. If you were born into a Christian family, sometimes it's easy to take for granted the, the blessings and to see God's hand at work. Uh, it's uh, difficult if you have not experienced maybe some of the more difficult situations that you can arrive at being unsaved and in the world. And sometimes we take our walk with God and take our relationship with the Lord for granted. We must recognize the mighty works of God. Think about personally in your own life. I don't care if you're a second, third, fourth generation Christian. Think with me for just a moment. The personal victories, the, the work that God has done in your life. Think about salvation for a moment. God took you who deserve to go to hell. I don't care how good, how godly you believe yourself to have been. Doesn't matter how young you were. You were still born into sin, would live in sin and die in sin. It took as much grace to save that four-year-old child as it took to save that 40-year-old sinner. Because they're equal sinners when it's all said and done. From our perspective, we say, oh, it's a four-year-old. They couldn't have possibly been involved in much sin. Oh, I mean, God would only have to use a little bit of grace there. Now, let me tell you, it took as much blood to wash their sin away as it took to wash the oldest sinner that ever got saved sin away. Amen. Salvation. You talk about a miracle. Oh, I wish I lived in Jesus' day. Oh, I wish I could have walked the streets of Galilee. Oh, I wish I could have seen him. Heal the blind and heal the lame. And I wish I could have seen him raise the dead. Well, let me tell you something. I've seen him raise the dead a number of times. Because the fact is, is we're dead already in sin. And when I say every sinner that comes to Christ is raised from the dead. I'm just saying we sometimes overlook the mighty works of God. And we somehow get the idea that we're missing out on things. I'll tell you something, we better not take for granted the mighty works that God's done in our life in salvation. What about illumination? We know that this is God's Word. And let me tell you, the Bible says that there's no way in the world you can understand this book. You go ahead and dumb it down all you want. You go ahead and change it and try to make it say something or try to somehow make it easier to understand. But when it's all said and done, you want to receive a spiritual truth, you need some spiritual illumination. 
And that's something that God gives to His children. And that's all. And that's only who gets it, by the way. If you're lost today and you're struggling with understanding the Word of God, no wonder. You need to be saved and then you'll understand the book as God gives you leadership. And may I say that even if you're saved today, don't take for granted that illumination. Don't think for a minute that you can walk out into this world and live in sin and do your own thing and somehow reject the Lord Jesus Christ in a daily walk and think that He's going to provide you with illumination. You'll be just as confused and just as messed up as the world is. We have personal victories and we see the mighty hand of God and the mighty works of God in our salvation, our illumination. And think about that transformation that God's done in your life. Just think about where you were without Christ and where you were headed without Christ and what would have been the end result without the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I say, when you start to think of things from that perspective, I want you to know it's easy to see that God's been working and that great things have been done and that He's a miracle worker, not just yesterday, but today. Recognize the mighty works of God. What about our families? Think about our families and... Just the fact that so many times, once you've come to Christ, the the Lord will provide you opportunities to witness to your family members. And we see them coming to Christ and being saved. And the burden of their soul rolls off our shoulders because it fell into the lap of Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to look at our families and to see them thriving in Christ, going forward for the Lord. He brought order to chaos in our homes and in our marriages. How many times have I watched people walk through the door of Community Baptist Temple with a mess in their marriage? They walk in the door and they begin to plug into the Lord Jesus Christ and they begin to counsel with the scriptures and counsel with their pastor possibly and counsel it just in, in the daily routine of the messages and they receive what God has for them and their marriage strengthens and their home is, is restored and God does a miracle. We've got to recognize the mighty works of God. It's sad when we start to forget what God has done. We've got to recognize the mighty works of God. Number two, what do we learn? <clears throat> we must remind ourselves of how fortunate we really are. You know, we've been born in America where we are free to pursue happiness. And says, well, this isn't the land of opportunity anymore. I'll guarantee you, it's got as much opportunity as you're going to find anywhere in the world. Guy says, well, I just don't. It's just not working for me. Well, then maybe it's because you're not working. I'm just saying, you put forth the effort, God's going to bless you if you're a child of God, first of all. And, And that may not be with just material goods, but let me tell you something, you'll be blessed. But America is a land of opportunity still. I mean, all you have to do is watch Shark Tank and you know that. You know, we're born in America where we have the privilege and the opportunity to express our faith, to follow our conscience. They can tell us what to believe. And I know things are changing and they're trying to strip our freedoms. But may I say, we have the right to stand and we have the right to proclaim our, our faith. And we have the right to go to church and we have the right to knock on doors. We have the right to spank our children. Yes, we do, according to the state of Ohio. And even if we didn't, we do because the Word of God says we do. But the fact is, is that we've got God and His Word and we've got a nation that is grounded and founded on the truths of this book. 
What a blessing that is and what an opportunity that's been. And we sometimes overlook it, don't we? We forget about that. We sometimes feel sorry for ourselves. It's a nation of opportunity. We are fortunate to be born in this nation because we have had the wonderful exposure to the gospel. You could have been born in a number of other countries and never heard about Jesus. You could have been raised up in a a false religion. You could have grown to believe that just believing in nature was enough and you'd have died and you'd have split hell wide open. But God loved you. He placed you in this place. And what a privilege it is to be a part of a nation, to be involved in this country where we have the wonderful opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. I mean, think about the opportunities that we have and and how fortunate you've been to find a church like Community Baptist Temple to plug yourself into and your family into where you can raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, where somebody's going to support your standards, where somebody's going to tell you that it's still right to get married before you have a relationship, where somebody's going to tell you that that man-on-man and woman-on-woman thing is not the way it is. The Bible still states, and we say, Thus saith the Lord. church where the gospel's preached, where the truth is given, where we still knock on doors and we still do it the old ways and we still follow the old paths. A church where our children can be molded and grow in grace. We got to be reminded from time to time how fortunate we really are. Not everyone is as blessed as we are. Not everyone is. Number three, not only must we recognize the mighty works of God, not only must we remind ourselves of how fortunate we really are, but we understand from the passage that we must realize that God holds us more responsible than others. You say, what do you mean? Well, with opportunity comes responsibility to whom much is given much is required and that's something we have a number of young people and children in our church and they better they 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 will be tempted to somehow believe that because they have moms and dads who draw the line in the sand, because they have parents that say, you're going to church, because they have parents that require them to live a certain way and act a certain way and behave a certain way, where they have parents that set some guidelines and say, you'll have to be in at a certain time and you're not permitted to go certain places and you're not allowed to drink certain things or hang out with certain people or do this or do that. They'll say, man, I hate this life. I can't stand it. You know what your problem is? You don't appreciate what you've been given, first of all. But let me tell you something, whether you appreciate it or not, let me tell you that you've had an opportunity that some in this room and others in this world have not had. It is called an opportunity when you have godly parents or at least parents that care enough about you to set some limits in your life. They're not perfect because they're people. But then again, have you looked in the mirror lately? The fact is, is that 
in this room today, there are those that have been raised in a Christian home. Some have not been raised in Christian homes here and have been required to draw from the well of knowledge in the Word of God and from their pastor and churches after they were older and had to change their lifestyle and change their direction all because with the power of God. You've been able to be raised because they've stepped in the right paths. They've allowed the Lord to order their steps. And you ought to count that an opportunity. And it is a privilege. Therefore, there's a responsibility that you have as a result of that. You say, well, I want to test the world. You are ungrateful little brats. It's ridiculous. You realize, and you better understand this, that there's more responsibility on your shoulders than there was on your mom and dad who weren't saved at your age then. Do you realize that you're going to be held more accountable for your actions than they were? You better not take this lightly. You need to understand that what you were given, you are going to be held accountable for. I'm amazed how many parents may be even in the same boat. Given a place to grow and to worship like they have here. To only reject the teaching of the Word of God. To say, well, you know what? I don't agree necessarily with what he says or with where that church stands. Oh, I know that he points to verses in the Bible. I know that he says it's from the Word of God, but that's just not me. Let me ask you, when's the last time you dug in your Bible to see whether or not it was his Word? And if it was his Word, then how dare you sit there and throw it off and cast it off as though you're not responsible for it because you just choose not to be. Let me tell you, to whom much is given, much is required. And God's going to hold you accountable as a parent for what you've learned and what you've gleaned in these services and in this ministry. That's what we learn from this passage. There were a number of people living in Israel in those days who didn't want anything to do with Christ. But the fact was, Jesus said, no, you've seen the miracles. You've been exposed to my presence. You have recognized the fact and been given enough information to know that I am the promised one. If you had only read your Torah, if you had only read your scriptures, if you had only listened to the wise men, you would have known that I was him. But no, you chose not to. But may I say, you've still been given the opportunity. And with that opportunity comes some responsibility. And as a result of that, I'm telling you now, you're going to wish you had. We must recognize the mighty works of God. We must remind ourselves of how fortunate we really are. We must realize that God holds us more responsible than others because with opportunity comes responsibility. <clears throat> You've got a good mom and dad provides for you. That's more than a lot of people have ever had. That means you're going to be a little more responsible, you're a little bit more accountable now got some more responsibility on your shoulders you've been taught how to win a soul guess what now you got a little more responsibility so i never really wanted to learn i just happened to get it well you got it now do what you're going to do with it god's going to hold you accountable for that and responsible for that because with opportunity comes responsibility we can go on and on but number four <clears throat> we must remember that the consequences will be greater for having been given such opportunity. See, in the passage, because Chorazin, I mean, excuse me, because, um, yeah, Chorazin and 
Sidon and Capernaum had been given this great privilege of seeing and experiencing the witness and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, according to the passage in Matthew 11 to, to, to Capernaum, he says, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What's he saying? He says it's going to be worse on you than it is on that wicked, adulterous, horrible nation that I literally destroyed. But it's going to be easier on them in the judgment than on you because you had been given some things. You are a possessor of truth. You've been given opportunities that they never had. A couple of angels come strolling into the city and reach out to Lot and his family. But I have reached out to you as a nation. And you've rejected me. If I would have done that to them, they'd still be here today. And may I say that sometimes we take all of that for granted in our Christian lives. Do you realize that God has provided us with this book? I mean, it is His Word It's the mind of Christ itself. God has given us the wonderful privilege of being part of a nation that enables us to worship without fear of persecution. We have the opportunity to witness without worrying about being drugged down to the police station. We have been given opportunities that most of the world has never known. And the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelled us, empowered us, enabled us, And God says, listen, don't think for a minute that with all that opportunity, you won't be held responsible. And not only held responsible, but more responsible as a result of it. That's the principle. It's never right to do wrong. We understand that. We know that doesn't matter who sins, God's going to have to address the sin. But when it comes to this judgment, He says, listen, those heathen nations will have it easier than you and your nation when you stand before me in judgment because of the opportunities you have had and have rejected. Tonight, I wonder if we as a church will be responsible or irresponsible with the evidence afforded us concerning the reality of Christ and God. What are we going to do about eternity? What are we going to do with the privilege and the opportunities that we've been given? Will we dismiss it? Will we look and say, well, you know, it's just not, it's not really like it used to be. Things have changed through the years and Church is different than it was in the past. And we've, we stand before a, a very wicked and sinful generation and they want nothing to do with God. And so we might as well just stop going out door knocking. We might as well just give up on sharing the gospel. We might as well just, you know, okay, go to church from time to time. But maybe we can get rid of a Sunday night service or a Wednesday night service. And we can just kind of relax a little bit and just kind of just praise God from time to time. Let me tell you something. To whom much is given, much is required. If not us, who? Who's going to win this world out here? 
What, our government? I mean, who's going to win the world? If it's not God's people, if it's not the ones who've already received and accepted, if it's not the ones that have Jesus living in them, that are empowered by a supernatural power, a resurrection power, who's going to do it? Well, we're just too far gone in our nation and there's just no hope anymore. I, I don't like to think about that. I've got young I've got children that are just getting married now and they're going to be having some, grand, uh, some kids and I'll have some grandchildren, Lord willing. But what kind of world will this be if we just throw in the towel now? Listen, and, and, and again, don't think for a minute that we won't be held accountable whether or not we choose to be or not. Look in, my cl- in closing, look at Luke chapter 12. I wonder if you as a person will be responsible or irresponsible with the evidence that's been afforded you. Think about how many messages you've heard. Think about how many books you've read. Think about how many opportunities you've had to be exposed to Christianity, the truth, to the Lord. Think about the, just like these men uh, said this morning, or one of the young men said about that prayer meeting that they had been a part of on that Friday night of the men's conference. They said, boy, the Holy Spirit of God showed up. Jesus Christ, we could feel His presence. Don't think you won't be held accountable for that and responsible for that. Don't think that comes cheap. Luke chapter 12, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, And at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. That servant, which knew his Lord's will, prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with what? Few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be much required. To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting to me. Everybody wants a position, but very few want the responsibility. I don't understand. They, they expect so much of us at that church. Well, that's right. You're going to be a Sunday school teacher, and we are going to entrust you with the souls of boys and girls or men and women. 
And then they're going to tell me that I need to dress a certain way when I come to teach. They're going to tell me that I need to live a certain way outside of church and be, be, without, be blameless and I, I can't drink alcohol and I can't smoke cigarettes and I can't run around and go into movies and doing all that stuff. And I can't act like the world. And then they're going to tell me not only that, but then I, I have to show up at teachers' meetings. And they're going to tell me that I have to go out soul winning. And they, they just require so much of me. Well, obviously, you don't think those little souls are worth a whole lot. I do, though. And the Bible says, And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. What's wrong with that? I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of girls in this place. But I'm going to be quite frank with you. There are two that mean more to me than all the rest. My daughters. And I, and I got a guy sitting beside my daughter. Now listen. That guy may sit next to your daughter. And that's important to me. And I love your daughters here. But when I look at mine and I see that guy sitting beside her, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to expect a little more out of him than I probably do out of the one sitting beside yours. Now, now let me tell you why. Because, see, when I look at that, I see a lifetime of investment. Financially, emotionally, spiritually. I know what it was to wake up in the middle of the night and have to take care of them and change their diapers. And <laughs> My wife's having a cough attack over there. Okay, so maybe I didn't have any part in that, but I still had to provide for them and protect them and care for them. I'm going to tell you something. When he stood and said, I do, there was much committed to him. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot required now. You understand? And you know what? That's how it ought to be with these young people and these adults that are here at Community Baptist Temple as we take steps and we are given opportunities to serve and we are committed with and made responsible for the lives and souls of men and women, boys and girls, we ought to just say, you know what, I expect to be expected to do much because much has been committed to me. May I say when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's creator of the universe. The master of all things. And every day in our life, if we'll look, we'll see His hand. And miracles are being done before our eyes continually. I wonder, will we, will we be responsible with what we've been given? God help us. As a church... As individuals, as couples, as families, to be responsible with what we've been given. Father, we come to you.